Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Hey, you Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. It's good to see you, buddy. Hey, How so you been? we're almost done. <laughs> so, uh, we'll talk about T-tests, which uh, is something that I know you guys know about, but we'll get back, um, sort of getting everybody up to speed, but also it, it allows us to, it's probably the first time we get to introduce something that's going to be similar to the rest of the course, because it's about how this works uh, and why it works. Um, for any variable, one probability, we just need... Uh, if the variable is normally distributed, you look it up, certainly with Z, and you look it up in a Z table, and you're golden, right? So that's easy, uh, and we talked about that last time. So as long as the variable is normally distributed, and we know the mean and the standard deviation, well, then we can turn it into a Z, we turn it into a Z, we can look up the probability of a certain value of that variable, right? Um, and we know that Z equals X minus mu over sigma. Right. So the, 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 the value of the score minus the grand mean, or sorry about the grand mean, the, uh, the, the population mean divided by the population standard deviation. Right. That's his that's answer. Okay. I mean, that's stuff you know. You look at the Z table in your business. They're all figured out. No problem. Stuff you've done before, uh, probably ad nauseum. 2126 to the point where it was probably bothering you. And then eventually Dwayne or me or whoever taught you 2126 said, by the way, no one ever really does this. This was just to teach you something. <coughs> we have to start you somewhere. As interesting as this is, and I mean it's not that interesting, we're usually dealing with means, uh, not with individual values, right? We don't really care what a score, we, yeah, we did last time, uh, how many people have IQs between 85 and 107, or whatever, 85 and 107. No one ever asks that question. That's, that's a question no one ever asks. It just, it isn't something we care about. It's a way to introduce the, uh, these ideas to you guys, but that's really all it is. It's pretty rare. What we really care about is, is this mean that we've collected from a sample different from some, some theoretical population mean. We talked a little bit about that when I talked about hypothesis testing. Right? So instead of knowing what the distribution of x, we usually care about the distribution of x bar. x bar is the sample statistic, the sample mean. We want to know all the possible values x bar can take. We want to know the values x bar can take. Right? That's, that's really what we want to know about because if we're trying to find out if the mean is more or less likely to come from a, a, a distribution, in other words, is there an effect, we care about the possible values this can take. That's what we care about. Does that make sense? It's strange to think of the mean as being a variable. I understand that. <coughs> but the, as, I, as I've said many times, and I will say many times again, the numbers don't know where they come from. It's a distribution of, of all the values that x bar can take. And I know it seems strange because first you have to calculate x bar, but once you've calculated it, that number doesn't know, oh, I was calculating. Right? It can take various values depending on your sample size. Okay? So does that make sense? Because again, that's kind of important. <coughs> you good? All right. So this leads us to something called the central limit theorem. Um, and it says that given a mean with a mean, uh, sorry, population with a mean mu and a variance of sigma squared, the sampling distribution of the mean, that is simply, again, the values that x bar can take. The sampling distribution of the mean, well, the mean of mu, mu sub x bar equals mu. In other words, the average, average, is the average. Mu sub x bar, that is all the possible values that x bar can take will actually equal mu. In other words, if we have something like IQ, which is a mean of 100 and a standard deviation of 15, you will have, what's the, and you're collecting, let's say, 10 people. You randomly select 10 humans. 
on average, the average X bar, the average sample mean you get will be 100, which is actually the same as the value for the population. Okay? Does that part make sense? I think that makes actually a great deal of intuitive sense. Right? If we were to flip a coin, and we said zero is a head and one is a tail, so we're counting the number of tails. We expect to get 0.5. If we flip a coin 10 times, we expect to get five heads and five tails. Right? That's the most common thing we'll get. But we will get six heads and four tails. We'll get four heads and six tails. It's going to happen. It's going to be a little less likely. We're going to get three heads and seven, and seven and three, two and eight, and eight and two, one and nine, nine and one. And sometimes, very, very rarely, but sometimes we'll get zero and ten and ten and zero. It's going to happen. It's going to be rare, but it's going to happen. But on average, look how all those things, it's going to be symmetrical. We're going to get just as many times three and seven as we get seven and three. Right? Just as many times getting 6 and 4 and 4 and 6, 2 and 8, 8 and 2, 9 and 1, 1 and 9, 0 and 10, 10 and 0. Most likely thing is 5 and 5. We are going to get a symmetrical distribution where the mean, the sort of balancing point, is going to be 5 and 5 or 0.5. The variance of this will be sigma squared. That's the population variance over n. That's the number of observations. I'm talking about 10 coin flips. So it'll be, uh, I can tell you what the, actually I can tell you what the variance of coin flips but it's going off on a tangent so I'm not going to, so let's, let's instead talk about IQ now again. The variance of IQ is 225 because the mean is, <coughs> uh, sorry, because the, the standard deviation is 15. 15 squared is 225. If we have 10 people, we are going to get a distribution, the sampling distribution of the mean will have it a mean of 100 and a variance of 22.5, right? That's 225 over 10. And the distribution will approach normal. The more observations you have, the closer you will get to that equation of the normal curve that we had. I mean, Note that I bolded this. No matter what the shape of the parent population distribution. And you can do this sort of intuitively. If you were to sort of draw this out, you're going to get with the, with the uh, oh, what's his name? With the, with the uh, flip of the coins. You're going to get five and five, most likely. Sometimes you get four and six, and six and four. A little less likely to get 3 and 7 and 7 and 3. A little less likely to get 2 and 8 and 8 and 2. A little less likely to get 1 and 9 and 9 and 1. And really unlikely to get 0 and 10 and 10 and 0. Oh, look. And that isn't just something that you can just observe and, and say, oh, well, that's, there's in fact a, there's a proof of this thing. It's a real, let's not do the proof, shall we? Because I don't remember it. And it's not going to help anyone anyway. If you really want to look proof, I can lend you an advanced statistics book and you can look at it. Just believe me on this. Okay? And the closer you get, as n increases, n is what? n is the number of observations. What would happen if n was infinite? Well, you're actually now you're measuring what? You're measuring the population. <coughs> it's actually going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. In fact, you're always going to get the population mean, aren't you? Let's pretend that you're the population. There's 23 of you or whatever. And I'm going to measure your height. And let's pretend that your height on average is 165 centimeters. I don't pick the number. If I said five of you, I'm going to get a very similar, actually, I'm going to get a nice normal distribution when I plot those averages. <coughs> but if I sample all of you every single time, I'm going to get a point. There's not going to be any variance, is there? It's going to, there's going to be none. Because I've measured all of you every single time, and it's always going to be, let's say, 163, I think. 163. Always, every time. There's going to be a point. 
And look at this. Sigma square over n. If you talk this, that's h over infinity. As n approaches infinity, oh my god, he's writing like it's greater than math. It's just a limit. The limit of sigma squared over n as n approaches infinity. If n gets if n gets infinite, what happens to that quantity? It gets vanishingly small if that becomes zero. So in other words, you get no variance. Because now it's not a sampling distribution anymore, it's a population distribution. With me so far. never taught limits in high school math, by the way. I'm just curious about high school math. You were not taught it. You were taught it, right? I don't remember. No. Okay. So you gotta remember, but like you'll say, I never learned that. No one ever taught that. I, like, I have some faith in humanity left. Not much. I'm really curious as to what they teach me in high school methods. I don't know. I don't blame you, I blame the system, man. I blame society. What movie is that from? Repo Man. Watch Repo Man. It's with Emilio Estevez, the non-crazy sheen brother. <laughs> he must feel horrible. His brother Charlie is insane and wealthy. And he's like probably working in a garage, which is perfectly good honest work. But you know, he was he's not the one that went nuts. And he ends up in the Mighty Ducks movies. And in Repo Man, which you should watch, like 1982. It's great. Neutron bombs, aren't they dangerous? Not at all! It's a great movie. It's a satire of the early 1980s. Made in the 1980s. Anyway, so that's today's, today's first movie recommendation, Repo Man. All right. Questions about this. Does this make sense? Not the part about Charlie Sheen and his brother Emilio, who actually uses his real last name. But about the central limit theorem. Does this make sense? Hopefully it makes some intuitive sense. The idea that it's sigma squared over n, that is involved in the proof, and just take that as a given, okay? The rest of it, I hope, makes a lot of intuitive sense. The idea of being normal, and the idea of the mean being the same as the population mean. Um, some people will tell you that this has to be 30 to be normal. Those people are wrong. <laughs> um, once it's about six, five or six, you start to get a normal distribution for n. It's amazing. 30 year guaranteed, pretty much. Okay. The population, I don't know what that is. The population distribution shape does not matter. Wow, that's cool. This is what allows us to, uh, to do inferential statistics. This is what allows us to have this class. What matters is random sampling. So this works, the central limit theorem works assuming you have a random sample, a simple random sample. And you learned about sampling, I'm sure, in 2127. Um, it's the idea of if we put everybody's name in a hat and we drew their name. It matters, though, not as much as you might think. A Monte Carlo experiments, which are basically what a Monte Carlo experiment is, it's just using a computer simulation and running something a bazillion times. And using non-random sampling still works pretty fine. Okay? So it, it matters, but not nearly as much as you might think. It's not nearly as important a constraint as you would imagine. Okay? So you need the sampling. It's got to be kind of random. Which is a technical term. So find, find the probability of x bar, so in other words, the probability of getting a certain x bar, a certain mean, we use our old friend, the z-score. So we're just going to use a z-score now to find out the likelihood of a mean. Not an individual score now, a mean. But to, to use z, we have to know the, the standard deviation. Oh, we know that. We have to know the mean. 
well, it's the mean of the sampling distribution. We know that. And the shape's got to be normal. Oh, central limit theorem says it'll be normal. Thank you, central limit theorem. Thank you, property of numbers in the universe. Awesome. Okay? So we go from, this is the original Z, this is the Z score, this is Z formula, which is X minus mu over sigma. Right? X minus mu over sigma. So to put that stupid thing with the Pepsi machine there, they cut the room and okay, anyway. Just saying. Don't be bigger. You have to go out and see stuff. No, we need another couch. We need another place for a couch. I guess, though, when that was done, there was no speaking. It's true. The lounge area was down where all, on the second floor, in Shinwalk Hall, where all the, um, those offices are. You had the learning center, that was the cafeteria. Did you know that? It's a different time. Yeah. There's that. Well, I, remember you felt like, I keep learning formulas. They keep throwing formulas at me. What's Keel throwing formulas at me for all the time? It's driving me crazy. That and his accent. So... <laughs> This isn't a new formula, the one on the right. It's just for us, uh, for a mean. Because look, this is the, the number we're interested in. Now it's this, that's why. This is the mean. Well, we know from the from CLT, uh, the, the, the central limit theorem, that it's the same. Technically, we should say sub x bar, but we know it says mu sub x bar equals mu, so we can keep the mu there. Divided by the standard deviation. Well, if the variance is sigma squared over n, the standard deviation is sigma over root n. I've just taken the square root magically. And we get sigma over root n. So this isn't a new formula. Okay, this thing's pissing me off. It's nothing new. It's the same formula. You're just subbing some stuff in. It's all you've done. It's nothing new. Nothing new. Okay? Makes sense. So it's nothing fancy and new. As long as you remember this, this just happens because you know that we're average the next bar. We know that from central limit theorem, it's the same value. And from central limit theorem, it's the sampling distribution. It's an deviation. No, that's that. There's a reason that I tell people I want them to memorize the central limit theorem because it allows you to do all this stuff. All right. Questions? Okay. Here's an example. It's a stupid example, but let's pretend. 25 subjects to an IQ improvement course. Probably something you see on late night TV. Some huckster trying to sell you something. You can tell you have a low IQ if you actually buy the IQ improvement course. And their IQs are tested after the course. They have an IQ of 110. At first blush, you think, well, is that enough to say that this thing works? We know the average IQ in the population is 100. That's great. But is that enough greater that we would say it's so unlikely that those people come from the original distribution with mean of 100 standard reaching of 15? They come from a new distribution, a distribution that have, that have actually paid for Dave's IQ improvement course, only 499.99. <laughs> right? That's a whole different distribution. In other words, the thing has an effect. Or is it just like, that's just dumb luck? Like sometimes I flip a coin and I get, I get six heads. I don't get concerned about six heads. You wouldn't even be concerned about seven heads. Oddly enough, you get concerned around eight heads. When you ask people, when do they think, hey, it might be a fixed coin. And in fact, that's right around 95%, which is kind of cool. We have an intuitive feel for the 0.05 level. It's odd. So the IQ of the population, is, as you have probably been told many times, and I know I've said it here, has a mean of 100 and a standard deviation of 15. Well, now we can figure this out. Z equals X bar minus mu over sigma divided by root n. So that's 110 minus 100 over 15 divided by the root of 25. We need 25. 
Okay? I'm going to say that in the last slide, but let's say we give it to 25 people. Let's say we give it to 25 people because it makes the math easy. So 10 over 15 over, uh, 10 over, sorry, 10 over 15 over 5, 15 over 5, because 15 and the root, square root of, of 25 is 5. So it's 10 over 3. And we end up with 3.33, which is an exceedingly large Z score. It's very big. It's very big. In fact, the probability of getting a Z that big, uh, your table's probably going to be that way. My calculator does, so I just did it with that. You could use that little web tool I showed you last time. You're going to get the probability of getting that is 0 .00043. 43 ten thousandths. Unlikely. So in fact, it turns out that Dave's handy dandy IQ improvement course, only 499.99, works. Sign up now. <laughs> you can get it at davebroadbeck.com. I'm lying. <laughs> I can't. I have another website for it. Um, <laughs> something new I've set up at the founders of Mega Upload. It's, uh, anybody get that? I'm glad someone got the joke. Thank you. Now, that's stuff you've done. You know, and again, no one does this. Because the problem here is that um, we don't pick, we know sigma for a population. We know means. Means are easy, actually. And for something like I said, when I was, if you're flipping a coin, uh, you can get a theoretical sigma. That's easy. There's a, it's, it, it's something you can do. Using binomial expansion, whatever. It's not a big deal. On the other hand, most things like, I don't know, what if I was comparing your quiz scores to the average quiz score I would ever have? I don't know what the variance is. I mean, you know, I guess I'll figure it out. I don't know. We don't typically know that. It's not something we know. Variance is hard. Well, the expected value of sigma squared is, or sorry, s squared is sigma squared, right? It's an unbiased estimator. E is expected value. It's an unbiased estimator of the population variance, isn't it? Right? That's why we go in minus one and all that stuff. It overpredicts as much as it underpredicts, but if we did it a bazillion times, on average, we'd get that. And we need this. Well, if that's true, we can just throw in S squared for C squared. There's a problem. We now have two sampling distributions. We have the sampling distribution of the mean and the sampling distribution of the variance. Because the variance can take many values too. What if by dumb luck, what if we were doing this IQ thing and by dumb luck I randomly selected all people that had an IQ of 103? The variance is zero. But it's not usually going to be that. It's usually going to be right around what sigma squared is. But sometimes it could be huge, sometimes only small. And strangely, it's not normal. Uh, the sampling distribution of the variance looks like this. You score me home. Skew left. It's not that big a deal. The thing is, we have to take this other thing into account somehow. We have to care about it. We, we can't just throw it into the Z formula. And it will change depending upon the size of the number of observations. It's going to be smaller depending upon the number of observations because it, when you calculate it, when you calculate it, the downside of the screen is going to be blackboards. We need blackboards to do this stuff. When you calculate S, S squared, right? Whoops, that's not sigma. I don't know what that was. As this gets bigger, okay, what happens if that then gets bigger? What happens to the quantity? Gets smaller, right? Gets smaller. So the value you can get for S is going to depend upon right? You see that? You should just look at that. 
Assuming this thing stays roughly the same, bigger this thing gets. This whole thing gets small. And that should again make some intuitive sense. You get less variation when you get more observations. Right? If I have two people and I'm randomly selecting them, it could be huge. If I have a bazillion, it's pretty small. If I get a poll of all the people that are going to vote in an election, the margin of error is zero. You actually counted all votes. Right? When they, when they, uh, in the Ontario election, they didn't say the Liberals won the election plus you know, 19 times out of 20. No, they just won. Right? The polls leading up to it, they give you a margin of error. When you have everybody, there's no variance anymore. So it's going to get smaller as, as, as numbers increase. So we have to take that into account. So we can't use Z. We can't use Z because it doesn't take that into account. It's a shame because Z's easy. That's a simple one, right? I mean, it's a simple procedure. Using the tables is easy. It doesn't matter. You have to worry about the number of observations. None of that stuff is real. But that's life. No one said life was easy, kid. Welcome to the real world. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Some guy. It'd be like a grade six teacher trying to tell you how the real world works, that kind of thing. My daughter was in grade two. And the teacher was really hard on her. And we went to, to parent teacher night and we were telling her that she was kind of, you know, a bitch. And um, we didn't actually say that. But we were like, you know, she's cute. I went homework at night there. They're kids. She said, well, you know, it's a competitive world out there. And I said, you're aware she's seven, right? She didn't really have a comeback It's a competitive world out there. But is she firing people? Is it like some sort of celebrity apprentice episode? Yeah. Same hair, actually, as Donald Trump. Like, That's good. You'll never forget that woman. Grade two teachers. I had a bad grade two teacher as well. Yeah. She took my hockey cards. Miss <laughs> Byers. Yeah, she took my hockey cards. I never traded hockey cards in class. I would not do that because that would be wrong. I was a pretty good kid. I was a smartass, but I was a good kid. But I had lots of hockey cards. Really, my dad was collecting hockey cards, not me. So he'd buy them and he'd have me trade them at school. So then vicariously through his kids, you know. And my brother was like in kindergarten, so I had to collect cards for Dan and me. I had two, two lists of cards I needed, and I had piles this high of my trader cards. You know, they had to sit on my desk. They had to. Because they couldn't fit in my desk. Because you, my desk was a mess. <laughs> Couldn't fit in there. But I never even looked at it. And then Miss Byers took my hockey card. She said you were trading. I said no, I wasn't. She said well. So it was parent teacher night that night, and my dad never came to those things because you know it was 1972, and dads didn't go to teacher nights in 1972. But dad went. <laughs> he said, "Give my son back his property. I'll call the police." <laughs> and he just looked at her and like she's like, "You're serious? Like, Do we want to call the police now?" Or? I'm sure he's calling a lawyer. I never had a problem with her with the hockey cards again. <laughs> she failed you on every. No, no, she, well, she couldn't. Right? At that point, it was like, you know, because she was, like most people, kind of frightened of my father. Uh, so we can't use the Z formula because Miss Byers doesn't like it. <laughs> I don't know. You're going to learn way too much about me. Many of you have already, but there's, there's different stories in this class, mostly statistics stories. So we use something called T. That's the T test. It looks really a lot like a Z, doesn't it? Except that this isn't a sigma anymore. It's an S. Just an S. Sigma, that's the only difference. great story of how this was developed. Now, if you know this, it was originally, when it was published, it was called the student, it was published by a guy who called himself Kurt Student, which wasn't really his name, it was a pseudonym. He published under that name because his employer wouldn't let him publish <coughs> under his own name. The reason for that was they, the employer didn't like 
because it was a company. They don't like people publishing under their own name because then the competitors would come along and steal them. So they encouraged their scientists to publish, but under assumed names. The guy's name was really uh, Charles Gossett. He was working for a company in Dublin, Ireland called the Guinness Brewing Company. It's a statistician that hangs around beer all day. It's like my dream job. And um, so he published this, like I said, under an assumed name. So you'll sometimes see this called students, called students' P test. And it's not because he was a student, it's because he published under this fake name. So it's kind of a cool story. Statistics, you know, this guy came from a brewery in Dublin. I've got to find out what the sampling distribution of the mean is. You know, says, can't be using, just can't be using sigma. have to use S. As an Irish guy, nothing? Okay. <laughs> it's got kind of a Bono thing. It's the only Irish guy I do. <coughs> so, key changes, if I remember this, depending upon the number of observations. So it's going to change. It's uh, that the, 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 it changes as a function of the number of degrees of freedom. It changes depending upon how we estimated sigma squared, which is the s squared, so it's degrees of freedom of s squared. Okay. And if you ever look at a t table, you'll find out, in fact, that if it is infinite, there'll usually be a line at the bottom of the t table that'll say if you have an infinite number of observations, and it just comes in as z values, because in fact, at that point, you actually know the population variance, because you've tested everything. Questions so far? Okay. This is actually really a powerful technique because now I don't have to know anything about the population. I don't have to know its shape. Central limit theorem takes care of that for me because I'm getting sampling distribution. It's going to be normal. I don't have to know the variance anymore. That's beautiful. I can calculate it and use it and estimate it. Before we were stuck with things like this is the, the reason you always see in statistics uh, sort of introductory stats classes always using IQ is because we actually know the, the variance of IQ. The tests are actually made up that way. Or you'll see very strange things like um, sort of industrial examples about this machine is supposed to, the, the tolerance is say that the specs are that it has this variance of how many MMs it puts into a bag. Really fascinating research questions. We typically don't know it. We usually even don't even know the meaning. You know why? Because we can usually figure out a theoretical one. Like if I said to you, um, we had some animals and they had two choices, uh, uh, you know, left and right, and we wanted to see if they learned something. Are they better than chance? Well, I don't even have to know anything. I have to say, well, chance is 50%. Like, I, I usually come up with a theoretical mean. Right? So the power of this is you don't have to know anything to begin with. There aren't all these constraints like there are with a Z test. Right? This is how, along these same lines, because in fact it uses a version of T, this is how like political polling works. They don't have to know anything. They just have to know they used a good sample. This is how you can know by testing, by asking questions of 1,536 people how an election is going to turn out. With plus or minus a certain, with, that's, that will give you plus or minus 2.5% of points 19 times out of 12. 1,536 and a half will give you that. So you'll often see 1,537 people were surveyed. Something around that. Pretty cool. You have to know anything. Questions about that, about how t-tests work, but you see why that works. You're okay? Makes sense? Straightforward? What if we had pairs of observations? Well, that's actually pretty easy. 
a quick pairs of observations. Uh, before and after is a nice one. So we can go with our IQ thing, and we can measure people's IQ before, and then they give them their little 499, IQ group, of course, and test them after. We can do before and after. We have a pair. So we have everybody's IQ before and after. We just take after and subtract before. We now get a single score. So a pair of observations. Or I could match you up on something else. I could match you up on, let's say we had a heart, uh, like a, a, a blood pressure drug. The only important variable here may be blood pressure, nothing else. So what I might do is say, look, I'm going to measure everybody's blood pressure in the room, and I'm going to match you up because you both have the same blood pressure, and blood pressure-wise, you're the same subject, basically. So I take Jenny, and it turns out she has exactly the same blood pressure as Michael, and I just give you the treatment, and I give you a placebo. Right? And now I can take your score and subtract your score. I can treat you as one observation. You've got to be very careful about doing that, but you can do it. But typically, you do it before and after. You could use uh, twins, identical twins. That's good. You could use uh, litter mates, rats, things like that. So all I've done here, well, I didn't invent this. The D doesn't stand for Dave. It's for difference. X bar sub D, sometimes D bar for difference. But it's just an average difference divided by the standard deviation of that difference divided by the number of uh, observations, and that's the number of pairs of observations. And then you just do a t-test. You look at that and go, where did the minus whatever go? Well, the minus whatever is gone because what do you expect the difference to be if there's no difference between the pairs? Should be zero, right? So, you know, I could technically... It should say x bar sub d minus mu sub d, but mu sub d is always freaking zero. The only time it's not zero is in examples and statistics books when they say, it's expected the difference will be five. The world doesn't work that way. That's just to show that you actually know a formula. Okay? So just x bar sub d divided by s sub d over square root of that. So pairs or matching of some sort. Now the only thing is you have to be careful here because what you've done at this point is typically if you've got two groups, so if you're talking about pairs of groups, so match up people on blood pressure, that's fine if the only thing you care about is blood pressure. But if you think that any other variable could affect this, now what you've done is you've made the two groups different. And what do we usually want? You've all taken 21, 27. You want the two groups to be Roughly the same on everything, don't you? You want to be the same on everything. That's your hope. But if they're not, now you've made it different on everything. Because how do you make them the same on everything? Let's see, you can either measure everything, which would take forever, or you can use random assignment, right? Just random assignment observations, or uh, subjects, or experimental units, as they say in statistics, or participants, as they say in the APA. We used to call them subjects. There's nothing wrong with subjects. You know, it's pejorative. They make it sound like they're being involuntary. Shut up. Don't you have real things to worry about? You know, a thing once from a journal, uh, just as they changed that in the late 90s, just as it was changing, I was using pigeons in the damn experiment, and it said subjects. I thought, they're not going to make me call them participants. I didn't sign a release. There was no informed consent. They were pigeons that I had in a cage and I put them in skitter boxes. They just changed this, uh, per APA format, they just changed it to participants. That's not if the person talks. The same person that rejected the 0.0504 thing. So I, I wrote back and I said, um, no. I'll call them animals. How about a subject, a section called pigeons? But I'm not calling them participants. It's sign up. Anyway, I like experimental units. Just even <laughs> better. So we have an equal number of experimental, experimental units in both groups are randomly assigned, and we get two similar groups, right? Or we get so that's typically what we do under very specific circumstances. Do you match subjects? I'm just going to say subjects. Screw it. Under very specific circumstances. 
And it's like when it's the only variable that matters. I mean, actually, even the blood pressure example, I don't think it's probably even good. It's often done in medical studies. Um, and it does make some sense. But in that case, I still probably wouldn't do that. I would still do before and after or something like that, probably with the same people. So remember, you've now made everyone different on everything else. You've made the two groups completely different. And that's not what you want. You want to be make causal claims, right? You want to say that uh, my treatment is what caused any difference. And if it wasn't your treatment, well, you can't know it's your treatment, right? If the two groups are, are, are different on a whole bunch of other stuff, too. You hope they're the same when you randomly aside. Randomness is your friend. But you can do this. What if your pairs aren't matched, which is in fact the way it almost is always done? It's almost always the case that your pairs aren't matched. You've got two groups. What if we compared two groups of subjects and how they did in a class? Right? We haven't really randomly assigned them, but we can figure that it's going to be roughly this. In fact, this summer, we uh, every summer the, the psych department offers Psych 1106, just something people want to take it. And in the spring, we usually offer courses that people want to take. Right? We don't typically offer really esoteric things. They're just majors and stuff like that because we don't want people to sign up. And, you know. Now, last term, like last spring, we did it with just the standard way you do it in the spring, which is, you know, two, three-hour sessions a week. This term, uh, this spring, we're trying something. We figured we'd see what would happen if we tried that block plan thing. So we're actually doing it in 12 days. See what happens. Well, we'd probably want to compare the grades, wouldn't we? Right? We would want to see if the students are actually doing okay. We're going to ask them what they feel. We're going to find out how we felt teaching it. It's a whole thing. We're just doing, you know, get, get some, instead of just everybody whining, let's maybe get some data. What a crazy idea. So we're getting some data. Biology's doing the same thing. We've got a couple courses they're doing that way. Good idea, I think. So what are we going to do? We can't have the same people take the course and match them up. We can't, uh, you know, there's no way we can do that. Well, we've got two groups. We have a random assignment. We know that. That's a limitation of, of doing something. So you might want to call it field research, uh, the field being a classroom. You can't randomly assign people to groups. They did the same thing, in fact, when I was in intro stats at Western. There were two sections that each had 200 people in. And one class was taught, it was a four-year course. One class was taught the whole course at double speed in first term and then taught it again in second term, but slowly they already learned it. Sort of an accelerated version. And our class was taught at normal speed. And we were all told this in advance so we could drop and go into another one. But basically no one really did. You stay in the same section because every other class. And they compared the grades. And this is how they did it. They got two groups. They aren't matched. We have to compare both groups. So maybe you have two populations. Right? So the question we will ask at the end of this spring is, do we have two populations? In other words, is there a difference between the traditional spring approach, which is still faster, and the block approach, which is much faster? Is there a difference? So maybe you have two populations, right? Because if there's a difference, you have two populations. Well, then they, then the hypotheses are as follows. HO is mu1 equals mu2. The two groups are equal. They come from the same population. In other words, there's no effect. That would be an interesting result. Right? If we found that, we can't conclude that they're the same, that they're actually the same. But we'd say, look, there's no difference in how students do. Or they're not the same, not equal to. Okay? And I think ours will be important because biology doesn't <coughs> offer all the same courses every spring. There's one we offer every spring. We always offer each one, always have one. And we're doing it with the same three instructors. We were team teaching last year, so Dwayne taught the first third, I taught the second third, Paul <coughs> taught the last third. We're doing it exactly the same way. We're going to use the same book, the same materials. Basically, we're just going to try doing it the other way and see how we think about it and see how the students do it. I think it's sensible. We're evaluating the same way. We just let's see how it turns out. So maybe this is true. Maybe this is true. We don't know. 
but we're going to find out what would be the scientists and all. No, it's just worse than Hitler. So, sort of level of debate most of the time, it seems to me. So, the original T formula we know looks like that. Right? X minus U, S over square root of N. Now, what's the greatest thing ever? Instead, data. What about data? Now, I just want to yell. You watch, we'll find something. I don't know what we're going to find. We'll find something. And someone's going to say, you know what? It doesn't even, it's not even true. Whatever we find. The level of hate is awesome. Hate is good to hate. <laughs> I'm hit with the scene. I'm down at the street. I can't believe I just did that. I really can't believe it. Okay. There's the statistic. There's the hypothesis. There's the error. Right? In fact, same thing we had before with the Z. Statistic, null hypothesis, error. Okay? Okay, so far. You see, that's basically what's going on. This is why I see this is why I keep looking at my phone. I don't know what time it is, and I really don't think it's 8.30. Because that means I haven't left the house yet. <laughs> right now I'm saying, John, please go put, you know, go brush your teeth, pack up your school bag. You know. I don't want to, I want to, I feel sick, I want to stay home and watch YouTube videos. No, you don't feel sick. Really, you'll have to go to the hospital where you stay overnight and I'm not coming and there's no YouTube. Oh, okay. Let's just put some. So, let's figure this out. Well, what's our alternative hypothesis? X bar sub 1 minus X bar sub 2, sorry, our statistic. Right? Remember what our null was? It was mu 1 equals mu 2. Well, what I've done is I've cleverly moved 1 over to the other side. So mu 1 minus mu 2 equals 0. So that's what's on the right. And then my statistic is, in fact, the mean for 1 minus the mean for 2. So the mean from the regular class minus the mean for the bar approach class. Okay. Over error, we have more than the error. And practically, what is it? This this is zero. So it's just this. Right? It could be not zero, but it should be. Our null is that mu one minus mu two equals zero. Right? So it's just zero. Does that make sense? You okay with that? That's all sensible, it's all fine, it's all good. Yeah? Okay. So now we practically end up with x bar minus x bar one minus x bar two over error. Okay. We still don't know what error is, I'm just using a word there. Let's do the error. Error's a little harder, it's a little less intuitive. Um we could just add them together. Because if we, could, if we just added them together, that would be fine. But in fact, variance depends upon the number of observations, doesn't it? Um, the lower the number, the higher the variance. Because it's divided by n. Right? So we have to factor that in. We have to weight it somehow. Right? The same way that I weight things differently when I'm calculating your, well, when Google Spreadsheets calculates your grade. Right? I'll say, look, the quiz is worth 3.33 and the test is worth 10 or 15 or whatever the hell it's worth. They aren't worth always the same thing. I multiply them times different, con different coefficients, right? So we're going to have to weight these somehow. So what we do is we weight it by dividing by the number of observations. There are other ways to do this. This is one way to do a t-test with two groups. There's also using something called a pool variance, we'll talk about in a second. So really, this is the same formula. This is just the error now. It's maybe complicated and ugly looking. And we've got the statistic here. We know that the null hypothesis is zero, so we just talk about oh, minus zero. There's no reason to put that on there. You put that on there, you're just being clever. You're being overly clever. A friend of mine in graduate school, she was a master, uh, but she has an undergraduate degree in math, and then she went and did psychology. 
And in statistics class, she was constantly doing proofs of things. She'd do a, a statistics problem, and then she'd do a proof. And the prof always said, I think you're going a little bit overboard here. Because, you know, you don't need to do a proof. We, just, we know you have a math degree. You're excellent. Right? So you don't need minus parentheses, mu1 minus mu2, close parentheses. That's crazy. Right? So we just drop it off. It's, it's, it makes your hand sore. Writing makes your hand sore. You know? And I didn't have to find the symbols again in the Microsoft Equation Editor, which is the most evil piece of crap you will ever use. So it's the same formula. We just sub different values in for HL, for the statistic, and for there. It's all the same damn formula. T-tests aren't magic. Now, if the variance is not equal, though, things do change. That's what I'm mentioning. We actually use a different value. We use something called pool variance. That's where it's a P. And how not equal is not equal enough? Because they're never going to be exactly equal. Well, some people always do this. And that's fine. It's a totally sensible thing to do. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, computer software will almost always use this because it's easy. And it gives you a little bit better estimate. When people are doing it themselves with just a calculator, they typically won't do this. Well, because frankly, look at that. That's just, it's, there's a lot of places to make mistakes, mechanical errors. How much is different enough? Uh, if one variance is four times bigger than the other, then use the pool variance system. <coughs> that's kind of a rule of thumb you can use. <coughs> Excuse me. So, N1 plus N2 minus 2. Well, why'd that happen? Well, we're adding two things together, two variances together. Um, we've lost a degree of freedom for, for uh, calculating the first variance, and we've lost a degree of freedom for calculating the second variance, so we've lost two degrees of freedom. So it's N1 plus N2 minus 2. And that's always going to be our degrees of freedom for a two-sample t-test. Because we've lost two degrees of freedom, we have predicted two, counting two quantities. This is much more common nowadays. You'll see this because, like I said, frankly, computer programs do this because it's simple for a, a spreadsheet or a, a stats package to use. They'll even give you a funny result sometimes using something called partial degrees of freedom. So you'll get weird numbers like you'll get 17.3 degrees of freedom. I don't quite know how that works. You know what usually happens? All those values when they come out are exactly this, are almost exactly the same, and they all bring a hypothesis, and everybody's happy. So they don't agree that you go, know, well, something's up here. So if the variances aren't really equal, we have to change things somewhat. This is how we change it. Again, we're just we're waiting by the number of, of degrees of freedom, um, and we're pulling what's well, called S squared sub p pulled variance. So how many degrees of freedom do you have? You always have N1 plus N2 minus 2 for a two-sample t-test. Because you have lost two degrees of freedom. You have predicted two things here. You fix or fix two things, or you can say you predicted two things. That's what I used to think. Makes sense. You okay? This is now. This is like we just we've done so far about three weeks of twenty one twenty six. Feels like it. Hmm? Feels like it. Yeah. Well, that's that. Well, the thing is, this is really just to get you back thinking like this stuff. Um, you'll be okay. Uh, you shouldn't worry too much. This is stuff you actually can do. And I'm actually never going to. Never. The chance of me ever asking you, I'm not going to tie my hands like that, but the chance of me ever asking you to do a two-sample t-test, you won't even go ahead and do that. You got through 2126. You got through 2126. You can do a two-sample t-test. And frankly, you know what? If I did that on a test, you look it up in a book because you have your books because it's, it's one of them, uh, what do they call it, open book tests. So... It's not that great a skill for me to test, test you on. It makes sense to test you on in 2126 for sure. Totally, because that's what we're trying to teach you there. This is really just review and reminding you of things. But yeah, we just, like I said, t-test last what? About three weeks, a month? Yeah. Assumptions about t-tests. Now, one of the things about all statistical tests is they have assumptions. 
They have assumptions. Right? They all do. First assumption is a simple random sample. <laughs> yeah, we don't really worry about that very much. Because frankly, we can, we can violate the hell out of that assumption. We can violate that like crazy. And everything turns out just fine. And that's a mathematical thing. That's not me just saying because it's inconvenient. This isn't some socially constructed bullshit thing. This is me saying, and this is the statistician saying, we've tested this and it really doesn't matter. So we can avoid the simple random sample in this case for using t tests. Oh, we can't violate that though. Independence of observations. If I know Lisa's score, I cannot know Marcy's score. It cannot tell me anything about Marcy. I mean, I'm going to know both because I get the, the results. But by knowing your score, it doesn't help me know her score. They must be independent observations. I like to think of this, to remember this, is like it's like the no cheating assumption. The reason I picked two people beside each other, it's not because I think you cheat, it's because you're sitting beside each other. Knowing one score doesn't help you know anything else about another score. There is nothing in the, the math behind this that talks about the, the, uh, the uh, observations being dependent on each other. If they are, you probably should go do, design your experiment. Right? A, this is something you can deal with with design. Um, you don't have to worry about that so much with as far as the math goes or any that crap. We also need homogeneity of variance, and we can violate that pretty nastily too. You know, one variance four times the size of another, and we're still okay. Technically, what this means, technically, to make it completely accurate, we need a simple random sample, complete independence of observations, and exactly the same variance in both groups. Two of those things will never happen. We're never going to get a simple random sample, and we're never going to get real homogeneity of variance. Why are these extra chairs even needed? No, really, does anyone have any idea? Because there's nowhere else to put a chair in here. We're full. Is this a storage space? Must be. We could put maybe two more at this chair. No, yeah, there's else. one that can go here. Yeah, okay, fine, but I've got like one, two, three, and then there's a couple of the. No, that's ridiculous. One there, a couple there. It's like you got a waiting room over here. This is for people that are waiting. <laughs> <laughs> you know. uh, the professor will see the thing. <laughs> Please enjoy the 1978 issue of Chatelaine. We have that for you. <laughs> it wouldn't be so bad in doctor's offices, except that the, like, the magazines, they're almost all like news magazines and like sports magazines. It's like, I need today's one. <laughs> I can't look at something like, you know, you know, star on the rise of the Democratic Party, Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah, I know, he's the president. Anyway. Who will Sidney Crosby end up being drafted by? We should put up books, classic books, Dickens, something like that. Yeah, just Or just give everybody a freaking iPad. Sit down, play some Angry Birds. Watch some Netflix, you know. <laughs> so we can violate the hell out of this. We can violate this pretty nastily, but if we get more than about four times, that's the rule of thumb, it starts to fall apart. We cannot do any, we cannot violate independence of observations. We violate that. There are ways to deal with it, but they are not using t-tests. It's uh, it's a whole other world when you violate independence of observations. And that makes a lot of sense. Think about the math, you know, just look at it. There's nothing in there that says, oh, and by the way, if you're Mike, <coughs> everything changes. <laughs> it just doesn't say that. It just takes all the individual observations as being the same. All right. Questions? You sure you have like nothing? It's all made complete sense. You're okay. Yeah, please. Um, with the t test, are we ever going to have an n that is more than 30? Yeah, that'll happen. But usually you're not going to have 
if you look at if you look at a think read a book on them? If you don't, it's no big deal. I can actually probably just Google a T4, a T table. But if you have an N of more than 30, you get something so similar to a, to a Z, you can actually just use a Z table. Yeah. Oh, you have your own? If you look. Nice. Because if you look at the T table, where is T? Where's F? Oh, my favorite distribution, F. Yes, I have a favorite distribution. Actually, I squared it. Uh, that's non central F. Ooh, it's called critical values of student ties. We're not statistic, but that's cute. Where's T? Unless it's in the. What the hell is it? They hide it? Oh, no, that's. That's, that's T for a coxon. Critical values of offering multi components. That's all he wants. A freaking T table. Okay, that's chi squared. That's F. That's power. This is bogus. Well, contrast, all kinds of stuff you're not going to use in this class. Fisher's oh, Jesus. Oh, look, finally, appendix to the T. Okay. If you take a look at 30, let's go for the point, um, well, 0.05, right? Because that's the one we typically go with. So 0.05 and 30, you've got 2.042 is the critical value. You have to exceed 2.042 to find significance. You know, you've all done this before. Now, if we look at 100, it's 1.98, and then if you look at infinite, it's 1.96, which in fact is the 0.05 level in the Z table. If you look at the Z table, I'm not trying to find the Z table here, so we got one plus D. Um, but it starts to get, like if you go 2.04, 2.02, 2.00, 1.9, they're so close together that it almost becomes meaningless. But yeah, people can use the test over 30. The thing is, um, what, and what you do in that case, if you have a table, not a computer, is there's two ways to do this. You can actually do linear interpolation between say 30 and 40, or just use the most conservative thing, which is the one with the lower value since 30. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it'll happen, but really to get around about, to get something where it's approaching a Z, you pretty much have to get basically, you know, at least around 100. But I mean, it's so, it's getting so close to that, you can act for the thing. Um, that I wouldn't really be too concerned about it. And frankly, um, yeah, I wouldn't. This course isn't about doing two tests anyway. Oh. Yeah, don't worry about it. You're not going to be doing a lot of that. How much did I review? Because I don't remember any of this. It was almost four years ago. Like, right. how much homework should I be doing? Oh, I think you should go over stuff. Uh, if you have your old book, your old stats book, just skim through it. Seriously. Just to say, okay, oh, I remember doing that, I remember doing that. Like, do the problem? <coughs> do a couple of the simple ones, yes. But that's all you have to do. I don't want you guys really overdoing this. This is just so everybody gets back to the same place. That's all I'm looking for here. I'm not trying to... Uh, if I was trying to teach you this stuff from the first principle at the very beginning, we wouldn't have done all of this in, in 55 minutes. There's just no way. You'll all be fine. Don't worry. I know the test coming soon, right? Right? When is it? A week and a half? Something like that? Two weeks? We'll do a review class before the test if you want. There you go. So that's next Thursday. Thursday. Right, so it's a week from this Thursday. We'll do a review class before if you want. Problem with me. Alright. Anything else? Alright, guys, thank you. really wish you'd let us in I think I speak for all of us when I say I understand why you folks might hesitate to submit to our demand but here's an FYI you're all gonna die screaming all we wanna do is eat your brains we're not unreasonable I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. Oh, yeah.
minds If you open up the door We'll all come inside and eat your brains I don't want to nitpick, Tom, but is this really your plan? Spend your whole life locked inside a mall Maybe that's okay for now, but someday you'll be out of food and guns And you'll have to make the call I'm not surprised to see you haven't thought it through enough You never had the head for all that bigger picture stuff But Tom, that's what I do, and I plan on your eyes All we want to do is eat your brains We're at an impasse here Maybe we should compromise You open up the door We'll all come inside and eat your brains I'd like to help you is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from GarageBand.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.